We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Ah, yes. What's good, everybody? Welcome to a very special and important episode of Veterans Minimum. I'm your host, Nick Deus, at The Lamb Show is where you can find me, at Veterans Minimum, as you can find everything for the show. So as you could see in the topic, in the title of the episode, this is a very different episode of VM. And like I mentioned just a little bit ago, that it's a very important one. As you guys know, recently, I lost a very, very powerful and important person in my life. Sergio Da Silva, he was my jiu-jitsu coach and I'd say one of my close friends, a guy that I got to know very, very well the last 18 months or so, and this is remembering and honoring him. This is a dude who's been on the show, I believe, three, four times also, and just always, always would say nice things about the show and put people onto the show. He passed away recently, and I've gotten the blessing from his close one, his close ones, and his family to be able to talk about him in this way. And so I want to give a shout out to to Lucas and to David, my guys. And uh, this one was it was hard, man. Look, I, I'm reading a disclaimer. It's something I've never done before on on the show. You know, suicide is not an easy thing to talk about. This may be a topic that can be seen as a trigger for some. I ask that you please listen to this with the caution of your mental state of mind. And also remember that it's your boy that you're listening to. You know, you guys give me the strength and the courage to be able to have these kind of conversations on the show. It's uh, something that I got a lot of positive feedback about when I was sort of teasing the idea of having Dr. Carlene McMillan come on the show. And she was tremendous. She was flat out just a a beautiful soul 
Carlene is a graduate from Harvard Medical School and is the founder of Brooklyn Minds. Brooklyn Minds is a team-based, tech-enabled, comprehensive mental health practice offering services for individuals and families across the lifespan. She started this and has put together a team of psychiatrists, therapists, case managers, technicians, nurses. And on this episode, we talk about mental health. Why is there such a stigma attached to it? How has COVID affected people's lives mentally? Suicide rates among young men and women. A little bit about my relationship with Sergio and what he meant to me. And, you know, I also I also I think it was very comforting talking to Carlene because I opened up about a lot of my issues and the demons that I had to deal with. And and for those of you that have been listening to Veterans Minimum for a very, very long time, you're going to get some clarity on what happened, what happened in the past and what's what's transpired and and where everything is now. And also I get a little personal and and dive deep into some family issues, too. And, you know, I, I appreciate you guys once again for giving me the strength and the courage to be comfortable enough to talk about whatever it is I want to talk about on here. The the show has really transitioned in the last year, and I, I finally have a direction as to what the show is. You could come get your sports shit, get some laughs, but we could also have fun, interesting, and important conversations on here as well. And it's, I think we've developed a little bit of a trust here at, at VM where you guys trust me. You believe in what I'm doing and you don't expect me to be perfect. And I'm just a dude, right? I talk about my flaws. I, I'm the first one to admit when I'm wrong about something or a shitty take I might have. But I just really, really work hard and I try to be as honest and transparent with you guys because there's a sense of comfort I have that I can't really explain it, that feeling when you're just... 100,000% yourself in front of somebody or for something. So I don't take it for granted. This is a hard conversation, but it's very insightful. And, you know, I try to give you guys the best I can and leave you leaving these shows a little bit better than when you came. So to all of you listening, I appreciate you. To Carlene Macmillan and Brooklyn Minds, I cannot thank you enough. To everybody that's lost someone, man. Let's try to prevent this. Let's try to stop this. Let's try to be there for each other. Give people their flowers while they're here. Just be nice. It's very easy to be nice. Don't be a dick. All right. Much love, everybody. Here's Carlene Macmillan. Dr. Carlene Macmillan. What's good, everybody? I want to tell you a little bit about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give you every opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is a perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get all of this that I mentioned above for only $15 a month. That's the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you for the initial setup. Look, as someone that has used many host sites in the past to upload the podcast, this is a tremendous deal. Absolutely tremendous. This is not in the ad read. You get personal cover art, Q&As, a Discord community, tips and tricks. I didn't have that luxury when I first got started and Blue Wire Hustle is here to give you that. 
So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so you can get your applications in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com slash join. All right, guys, joining me now on the show, this is a episode that I've been looking forward to doing for a very long time now, and easily the smartest person that's been on the show. I don't know about that. I'm setting the bar very high for you, Carlene. Uh, but, uh, you know, you are um, a medical professional and you graduated from Harvard. I didn't graduate from Harvard. So I, I appreciate your time, Carlene McMillan. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Are you uh, nervous about that intro? <laughs> <laughs> it's a big, big shoes to fill. So I hope I don't disappoint. <laughs> so I want to first start because there, there's a lot that I want to discuss and pick your brain about. And it's uh, mental health and uh, suicide prevention is one that's very uncomfortable for a lot of people. And it doesn't mean that it should be ignored or put to the side. Um, I want you to start us off with, tell the people a little bit about yourself and what you do. What is Brooklyn Minds? Sure. So, yeah, so I'm an adult and child psychiatrist. Um, and I, we really at Brooklyn Minds, which is a, a mental health practice here in the city, we have several locations. Um, we really tend to focus on individuals who've maybe had difficulty getting help elsewhere. Um, oftentimes because they have suicidal thinking frequently, intensely, have severe depression, have things that um, really when they call around and, and just want to talk to some random doctor, the doctor says, you know, I, I, no thanks, you're not really the right kind of case for us. Um, we really take those people in, we meet them where they're at, um, and, you know, really try to help them. We have a full array of services from traditional psychiatric medication, to individual therapy, group therapy, all the way to um, psychedelic medicine with esketamine and transcranial magnetic stimulation for depression, OCD. So kind of whole, whole range um, in the outpatient setting. Now, why is it that some doctors or medical professionals shy away from someone who comes to them with such issues? It's strange, right? Because it's not like a cardiologist would say, oh, you know, you have too much heart problems for, for me. I only like the sort of minor heart problems, right? But I think in, in psychiatry and mental health, and it's a little different. Um, a lot of people are in solo practice. I think over 60% of psychiatrists are in solo practice. Um, they're not really equipped. They, they're not, they don't have a team. So if that person is in crisis, um, you know, after hours, crises don't obey a nine to five schedule. Um, oftentimes that's too hard for an individual person. So we have more of a team-based approach where like right now I'm talking to you. If one of my patients is having a crisis, I know there's someone on my team that has my back and can, and that's just so crucial in taking care of this population. 
I mean, I think the other thing is just, uh, particularly in the United States, it's it's a litigious place, medical legally fraught, um, and people are, you know, fearful of, of malpractice lawsuits. It's, uh, you know, common cause of, of them is uh, completed suicide for psychiatrists. Um, so they shy away from it. Yeah, it's interesting, right? I like what you said about the, you know, cardiologists just saying, yeah, you know what, you have a, it, it's too big of a problem for me to take on. But as, as someone who, I, I've been pretty outspoken and I, I've sort of gotten comfortable talking about the mental health issues that I had. And it was a combination of a lot of things, right? I was 27 years old and I kind of was at a place in my life where I was being pulled in many different directions. Carlene, I was going to become a police officer for Nassau County. It's it's not as cool as it turned out. Not not as glamorous, TV. <laughs> right, and uh, and also I just had, um, you know, I, I was doing the show for about two and a half, three years, and the show was picking up a lot of steam. I was with a bunch of other buddies of mine, and we were doing the show, built it from the ground up. And I say that 2018 was the worst year of my life, and I can't even tell you what year number two is. Like I think it's it's separated itself so much from the pact that it's just it was so overwhelming for me and to to sort of not I wouldn't say segue but to ask a question on on this topic what what are some of the factors that go into people with mental health issues you mean what uh what sort of contributes to it like what kind of causes it or some causes someone to be kind of in a crisis yeah, as far as so elaborate a little bit more uh, on the the whole cop thing. I had gotten a speeding ticket when in 2016. I had just did the I did the test and I scored fairly well on it and I met with the investigator the whole process and a bunch of paperwork going on back and forth. And this was a uh, a, a very long process for me as far as I took the written exam in 2012. I didn't hear back from them until about 2016. It's funny, I had really ballooned up to about 245, 250 pounds. Now I'm about 195, just to put it in perspective. Mm -hmm. And I was very, very out of shape, Carlene. And I was an athlete growing up, you know? I was one of those dudes who, when I came back from college or some of my high school friends would see me years down the line, they're like, dude, you've gotten fat. Like, what's going on with you? And um, I was very, very out of shape and... I had to get a physical done. I had to take a physical for Nassau County. Uh, a bunch of push-ups, a bunch of sit-ups, running a mile and a half run. So it jump-started me into getting into shape because I was saying, dude, there's no way that I can pass this exam. It's just not possible. I'm just not physically capable of doing it. Right. So just to skip through some of the parts, I end up getting a speeding ticket, did a 70 and a 50, and I had saved about... Fifty, sixty thousand dollars of my own money, which it, it's hard to save money, right? Definitely. <laughs> so that's something we we all can uh, agree on, particularly in this area of the country. Yeah, I was lucky enough to be living at home until recently. So I, my father and I, we have a coffee truck in the city, Forty Ninth and Park Avenue. We've been there for well, my father's been there for about uh, twenty eight years now, and you know, at the time. I had stopped going to school. I just was lost. And the one thing I really wanted to do was this show and the podcast. 
So it got to a point where I have all this money saved up and I went and I got my teeth fixed. I got braces finally. You know, Carlene, I was I was 26 years old and I had braces on. And it was uh, very uncomfortable for me, you know, being a, you know, let's, let's be honest, being a dude, you're 26, you go out to a bar, you try to hit on chicks and it's just uncomfortable for you. It's, it would be uncomfortable for, for a woman too. Yeah. It's just not, not really the, uh, the trendiest looking down for sure. Right. So, so I go and I, I, I put the braces on and then I end up getting this letter that I got disqualified from the police. And then when I get disqualified from the police, my uncle's an MTA cop in, in Manhattan and He's like, dude, you should get a lawyer and fight it. And then before you know it, anytime lawyers get involved, retainer fees and all that, it's... Oh, bye-bye, $60,000. Uh, a, good, a, good a good chunk of it went. So as that's happening, the, the money that I had saved up, my fallback plan was going to be a food truck expanding the family business until the podcast and the show really takes off to the point where my side hustle could become my main, my main thing. And then... You know, it, it just got to a point where there was so much pressure and I was so overwhelmed with everything that I, my only escape was my show, you know, doing a show twice a week. And then because of the demons that I was battling and some of the issues that I had, it sort of put a hole in my relationship with my buddies that I did the show with. And it got to a point where, you know, I've never shared this with anyone, but they wanted to get rid of me off the show. I see. Write you off. Right. And you know what? I don't I wouldn't have wanted to hang out with me and be friends with me in 2018. And one of the reasons, Carlene, why I'm so open about all the things that I go through is because I was a liar and I lied to a lot of people that meant a lot to me. And it was because I had all these other things I was going through and you know, my father had gotten a little sick also. Our our business had went down to the point where, you know, we were ready to lose our house. And there was a construction going on at our job. So we had to move our location. So you're talking about like 70% of our business went down. So oh, wow. Mm -hmm. it was it was tough. So that's another reason why all of a sudden fifty, sixty thousand dollars is just bye bye. Yep. Vanishes. And it was just it was just a combination of a lot of things. And I I went into some really dark places and it was being pulled in so many different directions. And and my my one escape was my show. And then that was going to be taken away from me, too. So I know I just wanted to give you a little background on myself and what I meant by that initial question, which I'll bring up again about what kind of factors on the outside go into someone developing these mental health issues. Gotcha. Yeah, no, I, I think that, uh, Nick, that, that um, your experience actually illustrates a lot of the factors. So particularly when people become very depressed um, to the point where they may even be suicidal, um, we think of kind of two main factors. There's um, thwarted belongingness, so people who feel like they don't belong, and perceived burdensomeness. Um, and that those two things, a lot can, can lead to people feeling that way. So people feel like they just don't have a place in the world. They don't have a direction. They're not quite sure who they are, who, you know, who they matter to. Um, combined with sometimes like, you know, not having, not having money, not being self-sufficient, maybe other people needing to, you know, do stuff for, for a person that can really lead people into a very kind of dark 
whole and this sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy where then you become sort of more burdensome to your friends because you're kind of putting out that that energy right and so it becomes at the end you feel like I don't belong anywhere and I'm just a burden and then you know think people can make you know really terrible choices at that point um so I think that your experience sounds like that and in the but but the redeeming thing here is your show right and you I think you told me when you're gonna have me on like these guys are like your audience like your family like you really feel close to them you feel a sense of connection and that's so important that's so redeeming for people we have all the doloft in the world and everything it really zoloft is great prosec is great but they're not really a substitute for that feeling connected feeling like you have a purpose feeling like people are, are relying on you Th those things all protect and, and help people get kind of on uh, out of that dark place um you know we also know that genetics play a role right so family history plays well, I don't know in your family if you've had other people struggling with kind of similar demons, but commonly that can contribute. Um, and, you know, other life circumstances, obviously with COVID, all the uncertainty, um, which I think is a good point. Like people can get used to anything um, if they kind of know what to expect. But if there's massive amounts of uncertainty, like we faced in the past year with COVID, um, it becomes really hard for people to, to tolerate that. Um, and they become very insecure feeling and can get quite anxious, quite depressed, um, you know, and really kind of disconnected. So it can be kind of a perfect storm of things. Yeah. You said something about <clears throat> the, uh, the sense of family with the audience and, uh, the, the escape and, you know, it's, uh, I'm very honest with my audience, Carlene, and I know uh, on the surface, it might seem as if, ah, you know, everyone says that they're real or authentic and it's one of those things where you need to you need to get to know me to understand why i mean that and why people that know is like they'll say that that's true because you know even with you for example i, I i'm not gonna lie to you i was kind of intimidated talking to someone like you um just because like i uh i, I like to tell people like I'm, I'm not really that smart i just work harder than anyone that i know that's that's a very important type of <laughs> so so even even uh my buddy dom who usually he would be in here now if we were editing and um he's the camera guy and i just told him i was like man you know like this is uh this is an uncomfortable topic for for many people and i'm kind of nervous about it you know i'm going out of my comfort zone here and i was like you know she's super duper qualified for th this conversation and then i was like there's me and he said uh he said you know uh dude you you gotta remember that this is this is your field also like the whole podcasting thing you've done so many and you know we don't know have you done podcasts in the past I have, I have, but I have to say I've never done a, a sports oriented one. So when you first reached out to me, I was like, I don't know anything about sports. You know, I don't know if I'm going to be able to contribute. Right. So I think, you know, even though I might seem like an expert in my domain, I feel nervous about coming, coming into your house. Right. I mean, that's, I think, pretty, pretty typical. Yeah, good. So I, I do, I do feel a little bit better there about talking about that. But uh, you mentioned something in passing about COVID. And that was a uh, topic I definitely wanted to talk about because, you know, one of the reasons why I have you on, Carlene, is I, I lost someone very, very important to me, uh, Sergio Da Silva, 34 years old. He's been on my show many, many times, and he was a former fighter of uh, mixed martial arts, black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and we got very, very close over the last 18 months. We had some mutual friends. And we sort of were, 
I guess you could say internet friends where we followed each other on social media and we would reply to one, not, uh, one another. And yeah, we, a little back and forth. Yeah, yeah. You know, fun trolling and all that. And then um, eventually I got him on my show and then we sort of built this uh, relationship and, and connection. And, you know, the, this dude always would tell me, yo, you got to come and do jujitsu. You got to come and do jujitsu. And I've always been a very disciplined person. I guess it's from being a athlete growing up and I love to be coached. I'm very open to criticism. Um, I stream every now and then on Twitch, and that that audience is a little bit more ride or die, and they get to know you a little bit different because it's a live interaction with them from the chat, and you sort of are able to put name to uh, username and, and get to know their personalities that way, and um you know, they keep me in check. They keep me humbled. And it's a relationship that I, I really I, I enjoy. So going going back to, and why I'm bringing that up is going back to like with, with my buddy Sergio, with COVID, have you and your team and Brooklyn Mines, have you seen a, I don't even want to call it momentum because it feels weird, but has there been an influx of just cases coming in because of COVID? Because I don't know if that played a role into what happened, but just from myself, from experience, my business now in the city is down 70%. Right. And I see the toll that it takes on my family. So how has COVID, this, you know, it's been about 10 months now where the pandemic has really been just so overwhelming. How, how has that transitioned? Oh, yeah. I mean, so I think the uh, there's a study came out based in uh, statistics in June, and I think 40% of Americans endorsed, uh, you know, significant kind of mental health concerns during COVID and when one in 10 endorsed even feeling suicidal. So it's super common. In our in our practice, you know, we, we brought on more therapists and psychiatrists during the pandemic, um, people to work via telehealth, just because the, the demand was so great. And, um, you know, we had an existing cohort of patients, existing people who have bipolar, depression, kind of longstanding. Um, but we definitely have had an influx of people who are coming to therapy sometimes for the first time, people that are, um, you know, thinking they could handle it, and then it just kind of got too much. And so a lot of the people coming in, the complaints have to do with, with COVID and people's lives just being totally totally altered. A lot of people, they like, you know, they had jobs where they traveled and they loved that. And, you know, maybe they're married and when they're not traveling, like their marriage starts to look a lot different. Like the, the, they're like the disruption in the force is very strong for people. And I think we also find as um, mental health professionals, like normally we would recommend a lot of things like that are really connected and social and going out and experiencing the world and experiencing novelty. And, and this has really been curtailed. I mean, people have gotten very creative on Zoom, but it's just, it's really not the same as, as, you know, connecting in real life. So it's been really hard. Um, there's been more usage of medications during this time. So antidepressant, anti-anxiety meds and um, insomnia meds. Um, not just in our practice, but, you know, all around the, all around the country. And I imagine all around the world where, you know, before I might not rely on one of those medications for a patient. Now I'm going to say, you know what, well, let's, let's do what we can. Let's work with what we have. And, you know, if now that's a medication, then we're going to use it. Yeah. You're so right about the, the, the social aspect that has been taken away from us, because I remember in August, 
my friends and I, we've been doing a fantasy football league for about eight years, and we were going to do our draft over the computer. And we always, you know, we get the whole board and we all have a little party, sort of. We have some beers, we get some pizza. And uh, when we all linked up, that was probably the first time that all of us were together. And I remember just like high-fiving my friends and hugging them. And then my one buddy was like, dude, you're being mad weird. And I was like, bro, I haven't seen you in six months. Like, this is awesome. So you're right. I feel as if that's the, the social aspect. And again, going back to why the show means so much to me is it's a form of escapism right? Um, for as much as some people don't like their job and, oh my God, I can't, but my boss sucks or whatever it might be. Well, it's, it's an escape from you from leaving from home and being able to just clear your mind for a couple of hours. Yep. Absolutely. So I, um, is, is there, so you said 40% back in June, right? That's been, uh, you, you also mentioned about medication and, and when you go and see a therapist, one thing that also was, was tough for me was when I told my parents that I wanted to go see someone. This was at the time when I was being investigated to be a, a police officer. Oh, my, yes. So it was, I, was I was in a very, very bad place and I turned to my mom and I told her, hey, you know, I want to go see someone. And her response was... I hear you. I want you to. But what happens if the police see this? Maybe you're not qualified for the job. I told my father the same thing. He's a 54 year old off the boat Greek dude, machismo and, you know, just the macho aspect of it, old school mentality, where when I told him that I felt depressed, he told me I've been depressed for 54 years. So it's a def definitely a different point of view. So I... I didn't know who to turn to and what to do. And, you know, I, I called my buddy Mustafa, who's also been on the show, and he's a, a mental health coach and he's a uh, he's a entrepreneur as well and has worked with some athletes on helping them out as well. And it was something where I called him and I said, dude, I, I need to speak to you. And he dropped everything. We, we met up and he sort of just assessed it as you just have a lot of life going on at one point. And it, it, that's why it felt so overwhelming for me. Everyone has that breaking point, right? Too much. There's too much. Yeah. You know, it's like you're about to make a career decision. You're ruining relationships with people that have been so close to you for a decade plus, And you can't go to your parents to talk about things. And you're wasting all this money on something which, you know, Carlene, in the end of the day, I didn't even want to do the cop thing because they gave me an ultimatum that I... Full disclosure, not going to be a cop anyway, so that's why, like, this isn't going to be held against me. But I, I, I didn't want to do it anyway, so it was devastating to have to go and dump all this money on something I didn't want to do. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. Kind of being forced, the momentum of that path kind of mm -hmm. takes, takes on a life of its own. Right, and they told me that if I was to become a cop, then I can't do the show, you can't be on the internet, all these other restrictions and whatnot. So it just got to a point where it was so overwhelming. And I, uh, I, I never got to go see a therapist. But it was weird how things started happening for me where a buddy of mine, Steve, just called me one day and he didn't know what I was going through. And he was just like, dude, you want to go out and grab some drinks? And Carlene, I don't know if I would be here if it wasn't for just that random act from both Steve and my buddy Mustafa. Mm -hmm. Those moments the, of connection. Those moments are so 
it's as if there's like a higher power sort of just like that energy and the laws of attraction, right? Like I like the secret. I, I like uh, books like that. And is, is that something that you've noticed too from people that you spoke to? I mean, I, I think when people sort of open themselves up to those invitations, right? So we'll tell people like if you're feeling down and your friend texts you to go somewhere, you know, go. Like even if you don't feel like it, kind of do the opposite of how you're feeling because that, you know, nobody's really going to start to feel better by just sitting, you know, sitting in bed all day watching TV. Like that's really not a solution. So if somebody comes into your life who shows an interest and wants to connect with you and, you know, they're a decent person, then to take advantage of that. So you have to, you have to really kind of look for those moments, I think, and look for those people that you feel that kind of resonance with to, to connect for sure. And sometimes it's a therapist and sometimes it's not. It can be a coach, can be, you know, teacher, can be a minister, whoever it is that if you feel that they see you and they care and they want to understand you more um, and, you know, you have each other's backs, that, that goes a very long way. The, the idea of consulting your parents or loved ones, can it be taken as something that's maybe too much of a burden for them to have to deal with? Mm -hmm. So I think you have to choose wisely. One of the things um, we find a lot is uh, the saying, don't go to the hardware store for a glass of milk, right? I think it's from AA kind of trait stuff. But like, if you always go to your mom and she really is never able to comfort you in the way that you want, um, and she's just sort of always saying, oh, just pick it up by the bootstraps, just kind of be strong or whatever it is that she does, if it doesn't really work for you, that's not going to be a person that you should go to when you're in, in crisis. Um, and I think too often people spend a lot of energy wanting certain people in their life to be that person for them and to somehow, you know, the hundredth time they're going to respond differently when I'm feeling down. And, and they really don't, most of them don't. Um, they're, it's going to be really hard to change how they respond. So when you find someone that doesn't respond that way and instead is like, I see you, I hear you, I'm glad we're talking, that's the person that you want to have on speed dial when you're in the crisis. And sometimes when we're doing kind of crisis planning for people. We're saying like, okay, who are the numbers in your phone that you want to call, but also who are the numbers that you don't want to call that you're going to inevitably feel worse because, you know, water seeks its own level. People will continually go back and get these like really invalidating reactions from, you know, family members who just don't get it. Is it, is it okay if someone doesn't want to consult you that's close to you like that in the sense of, I have a buddy of mine who just has openly told me, he's like, dude, I don't want your problems. I don't want you to come to me with your problems. He's like, if you want to go grab a beer and we could shoot some pool and hang out, that's cool. But he, he has already put that in me and I respect that. Is that, is that a bad thing on my part to go to him with that? Or is it bad on that person saying, hey, man, I'm here for you, but I don't want to hear your problems because I don't want to take on that burden? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that it's good if somebody kind of sets that boundary, like if they're really not able to be that person for you, I do give that person actually some props for for saying that rather than sort of faking it or secretly resenting it. Um, I think that you just have to figure, okay, that's not a person in my life I'm going to have that level of intimacy with. That's not a person that I'm going to connect with. Maybe we're going to have a couple beers and, you know, hang out, go to a show, whatever, but we're not, I'm not going to be confiding in this person. And that's fine. That's just one type of acquaintance. And I think you'll find that the people that are there for you, those are going to be your deeper connections. And those are the ones that you're going to want to really nourish. 
um, because some people are just not well suited to it or some people, you know, they have their own stuff, right? Sometimes it's not that they're not caring. It's like maybe they had, you know, a sibling that was really mentally ill and, and, you know, kind of, they don't want to go and, and talk to you about that. It reminds them, or even like myself, like I'm a psychiatrist. I don't want my friendships to be all people that just want me to be their therapist. Like, that's not what I'm looking for in those friendships. I don't think that makes me like a bad person. It's just like, you know, that's not what I want out of those relationships. I don't feel that's my role. So you have to kind of look at each person and kind of figure out. Uh, I love that you said that about how you have your friends and you don't want to be a therapist for them because yeah, yeah. Be, it, I literally just had this conversation the other day because my buddy Impy, he came over and he's probably my best friend Impy and he came over and we watched football and I told him, dude, this is the first time that he used to be on the show back in the day and then he just got like a job promotion. He's like, dude, I would love to do it, but my schedule just doesn't align for it. And he's been on the show pretty much anytime I need him, he comes on the show. But it's it's amazing that you said that because our relationship was starting to become, hey man, you want to come on the show? You want to come on the show? Dude, I want to come on the show. And it was he. we both looked at each other and said, dude, this is the first time that we hung out and it wasn't about the show. Right, right. Yeah. And I, th- I think it's important to, to figure out what you want in certain relationships. And now, like, if I have friends that are going through something, they generally kind of know and they'll come to me and say that they're having a thing. And do I know somebody that could help them? Do they, you know, they, they respect that boundary. They see me more as a resource to get them connected to where they want to go versus, you know, having me be their, their therapist. It's just not, just not the role that we play. And so it sounds like for you, this friend was just, that's not the role that he's going to play for you. And that's fine. There was something you mentioned before in passing, and uh, one of, I was telling you this before we started recording how I, I've, I've actually, I have notes in front of me, and anyone that knows me knows that I never have notes. Um, it's not something that I, through trial and error, right? When I first started doing a podcast, no journalism degree, no communications degree, no broadcasting, none of that. Uh, I would prepare questions for, all right, I got five questions for Carlene. I'm going to ask her. Well, Carlene just spoke for four and a half minutes and I've completely just checked her out because uh-huh. I'm so worried about getting to question four and five. So it got to a point where I kind of just like feel right again. Energy seems to be a big buzzword over the last couple of years and a lot of momentum for it. But you mentioned something about having family members from your past, maybe having suicidal thoughts or mental health. I haven't. I haven't. I've also one reason, Carlene, why this has hit me so hard is people throw the word blessed around a lot, but I can truly say I've been blessed in the sense where I'm, I'll be 30 in March. I've never suffered any loss of any kind. My grandma, when she was 79, lived in Greece. I was 13, maybe, but also pretty remote though. Yeah, pretty remote. I wasn't old enough to understand it. I met her twice. It was something where this was the first one where I was like, damn. So I didn't know how to cope with it at all. And how is it? What are some of the emotions that are like standard emotions to feel when something like this happens? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's, it's important to realize that there isn't like standard emotions, that there are people, everyone will kind of handle a loss like this differently. 
Um, and for some people, you know, when they experience someone in, in their life um, com, com dying by suicide, um, it might not hit them for a while, right? They may be sort of numb to it. Other people could be deeply impacted, you know, straight away. Um, but it can be really, um, can really shake people up. Um, people can become depressed, anxious, guilty, all different kinds of emotions can, can happen. What about angry? Mm -hmm. Is that, is that a normal one? Because, you know, I, I felt a little angry too. And I, I just, again, I, I remember just asking some people like, dude, I, I feel some anger. Is that something that's part of yeah, I mean, so some, we talk about like primary and secondary emotions. So oftentimes anger is what we call a secondary emotion. I mean, it's like the surface kind of feeling. It's what you get sort of straight away. It motivates you to take action. Um, it's adaptive, right, to feel angry about something. But underneath that, sometimes usually the primary emotion tends to be sadness um, or, or anxiety and that the, ang the anger is just kind of what's come to the table. But it's usually like the tip of the iceberg. Um, but absolutely. I mean, it depends on the circumstances. And I mean, I think with, you know, whenever there's a suicide, there's, there's very common to be anger or look to blame somebody or something or, you know, look for some sort of answer. Um, it's super common or to be angry at yourself or angry at the person, right? How, how could they do this and, and cause this, this for their whole world or their family? Like all of those feelings are completely normal and typical to to have because it's a very traumatic action that you know unfortunately for some people ends up happening yeah yeah because i i just didn't there was uh, i everything you mentioned is what i felt it's been just a whirlwind of different emotions different roller coasters and you know the the way i found out was um a buddy of mine called me and he told me and i was like what no way i was like dude i spoke to him the night before i was with him a couple days before we had just trained and at first you know carlene i i don't know how to say this without really getting in trouble but you know th accidents happen right in the sense where at first it was said that it, it might be like heart failure right something like that and you know what, man, in the end of the day, like things happen and, and I could live with that. Right. And then the way I found out was I'm on I'm on Twitter and one of my uh, one of my really close friends, his younger brother started. He went on this like long thread on Twitter about mental health and suicide and whatnot. And I mean, luckily, I had I had just finished eating right before I got that phone call because then I didn't eat for three days. I was yep. eating. I was eating saltine crackers and just drinking water. Um, so, and then I messaged my buddy's brother and I was like, hey man, what are your tweets about? Are you okay? And Carlene, the, how long, you know, when you get the dots, when someone is, is, is uh, texting you back, how long it took? Floodgates. Just, it was because we knew him also. And then that's, that's sort of how I found out. So it was, uh, for me, that was where all the emotions started going through. And then, cause you always hear and correct me if I'm wrong, you hear commonly, oh, you never saw this coming. Uh, we, we, we didn't, we didn't think this was happening. And then I start playing investigator. I'm going through old tweets. I'm going through old posts. Is it something that people sort of, uh, cover up? in the sense of, you know, some of his tweets are, 
I can't believe this dude is fighting this dude. And then the next one is sort of dark, but in high, you know, hindsight's 2020. Yeah. It's, so it, it actually varies. Um, you know, for, I think it's very, very common to become this detective and try to find the clue or the missing, the missing piece that if only this happened, then they would still be with us or whatever. Um, but People can want to be dead and be alive at the same time. They can be planning, you know, planning a wedding and then the next day um, complete suicide. There, it's oftentimes an impulsive act. It's not a premeditated act. Um, it can be, of course, but for many people, um, you know, 10 minutes before they did it is, is when it, you know, when it came to them. And usually there's like a, a maelstrom of things coming together that, that made that happen for them. Oftentimes, substance use is involved, drugs, alcohol, or some kind of serious loss, somebody losing their job, some piece of their identity, uh, their wife leaving them, you know, big, big things like that. But sometimes it's not. Sometimes you're left like scratching your head being like, I thought this person's life was pretty okay. They seem fine. And those are, the, I think, the hardest ones where we just kind of never know what's going on, um, you know, going on in their inside for them or how long it was. What's is there is there a proper protocol to be able to uh, ultimately we all want to prevent things like this from happening right so how do you how do you try to identify it before it's too late mm -hmm. yeah I mean I think that um, people who are having a mental illness that's leading them to die by suicide like a depression you know generally there's going to be some signs of that among people that are close to them they're going to notice some changes maybe the voice is a little softer or slower maybe they're losing weight and they're not meaning to maybe they're gaining weight and they're not meaning to right there's some sort of change they're coming in late to work they're they're going to bed more early they're not coming to you know the poker game anymore like they're they're sort of signs somebody's sort of kind of withdrawing or having some kind of shifting um and you know i think rather than you know just say oh they're probably fine like just be curious and, and you don't have to say hey are you depressed you say like oh hey man i noticed like you know, I'm missing, missing you at the games. What's, what's going on? Like, are you, you okay? What's, what's up? Just going to be curious and open. And that could be an opening for them to say more. And you, if they say no, you can say, look, I'm always here. If there's something that you want to chat about, you know, just kind of leaving yourself open that that person could reach, reach out to you. And then I think if they do reach out and it's, you know, obviously, it, you know, going to be a serious situation, you want to help them get help really quickly. Um, you don't want to, be on, you know, suicide watch with them. You don't want to feel like you need to save them. Like you just want to get them to a professional, um, you know, quickly when it becomes clear, it's a real significant mental illness situation. I just finished reading this book, The Coddling of the American Mind. Have you ever heard of it? I haven't heard of that. No. Oh my God. You need to, I'm going to, because you gave me your time, I'm going to send you a copy. Oh, that'd be amazing. Um, Sound, I like the title. It's it's by Jonathan Haidt. He's a NYU professor. And it, the, the title really explains a lot about what the book is about, right? The Coddling of the American Mind, how good intentions led to a failed generation. And one of the big talking points is that there was a national rise in adolescent anxiety and depression during the social media boom, right? 20... 2008-ish, Facebook really takes off. 2010, 
Instagram launches, Snapchat 2011. Twitter was around from like 06, but Twitter didn't really get going until a little bit further on. Is there any correlation between social media and mental health issues? Mm -hmm. Yes. So there's kind of a growing body of evidence that um, the answer is, I, I think, Yes. Um, and I don't know if you saw that movie recently, The Social Dilemma, where they talked quite a bit about how the, the social engineering and, and everything. And so, um, yes, I mean, I think that it's become a lot easier, particularly for teenagers, for bullying, um, for people to be, you know, trolled in various ways. Um, and for people, I think, you know, importantly, uh, it, people put a curated experience out on um, Facebook. You know, I know plenty of people who um, they have a beautiful Facebook, beautiful Instagram, all kinds of happy pictures, you know, apple pies, they're baking the whole nine yards. And I, you know, I know that behind the scenes, they're, they're miserable, but nobody's really putting that. I mean, there's a few people where that's sort of their jam and that's what they're putting out there. But a lot of people are really doing this curated look at my, you know, when it was pre-COVID, my vacation, or, you know, look at this exciting thing, or I got a new job, right? People don't necessarily post, hey guys, guess what? I lost my job today. Some right, do, right. but a lot don't. A lot really want to manage their image in a way that in day-to-day -day life off social media, it's a lot harder to, to do. Um, I don't think all social media is created equal in that way. And actually there's a new platform. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called Clubhouse. Have you heard of this at all? that's ironically enough that's how i found you oh okay on clubhouse yeah yeah i was looking up uh mental health folks in new york city and i saw you and i don't know i just got the vibe that like you would be someone that would be easily approachable and as we're about 50 minutes into this show it seems to be the case yeah yeah well i so clubhouse is social media i think for your audience that doesn't know it's an audio only social media platform where it's really just conversations. It doesn't really matter what you look like in real life. You just have a little picture and it's like voice and something very intimate about voice, right? Probably like as a podcaster, like, you know, like yeah, video is cool, but there's something about listening. And um, I actually find that um, platform, it's not yet been studied yet. It's quite new and it's, you know, gradually opening to more people over time. It's kind of exploding. Um, that platform, I think overall is more, is probably more healing for people. I feel a lot of people on there feeling like they're actually genuinely connecting with people, making real relationships, particularly in the time of COVID that, you know, they weren't on Twitter. And some of the people I meet on there, I follow them on Twitter. We interact on Twitter a little bit too. It's very different than like being in a room with them. And then I see them coming in another room on Clubhouse and it's like, oh, that's, you know, that's this person. I know them. They're great. And let's, let's do a thing together. It, so I, I think I don't want to get into this sort of all social media is, is bad, but I think a lot of the really performative social media is bad. The, the sort of Instagram, um, I don't want to say TikTok is bad, but there really is this performative nature of it. And a lot of people, um, you know, that's, that's really not a great place for them, um, particularly if they're feeling, you know, depressed. If you're feeling really depressed, you're not going to do like a TikTok dance. It's just not going to happen. And, you know, then you're not going to go viral, right? I mean, that's that's just the world that we're living in now. And I think that's hard on people. Yeah, you know, one of the things that the coddling of the American mind really dissects is the, the difference between girls and boys when it comes to their relationships with uh, social media. And you mentioned like the cyberbullying, right? Like, 
it's weird. I, I feel as if, right, everyone thinks their generation is better than all the other generations. Like, I'm sure you think your generation is better than mine. I think mine is better than, than theirs now. But, you know, I, I'm a millennial, right? And it's, it's one of those things where I kind of had a childhood growing up, right? Like, I was able to, my friends and I, we would come home from school and we'd go straight to the park to hoop and play football. And we came up at the start of the MySpace and social media era. But we also were, we would go to my buddy Frankie's summer house in Connecticut. And we literally wouldn't have our, I would text my mom that I got there Friday and I would put my phone away. And why do I need my phone there? Because my friends are there, we're barbecuing, we're drinking, we're fishing, whatever dumb young kid stuff we're doing. Right, living life. Living life, right. So we didn't have our phones for that. But also, I don't want to shit on social media because we're talking because of social media. Exactly. I'm, I built this pretty cool, you know, like you were going to come into the studio I have a studio like over here and I'm able to make these connections and I'm getting money to for my my passion and my my project with no no proper credentials. Right. Like so I don't want to shit on social media because it's it's birth everything that I'm doing. Right. And I don't. When I watched The Social Dilemma, it was, duh, that was my reaction. Like That was mine too. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're all on our phones. I don't think it's a bad thing. I enjoy being on my phone. Can I cut back on it? Yeah, I try to. Now I'm under about four hours a day. I was up to eight, you know. It was, yeah, yeah. But, but you know, also it's, it's, it's a weird dynamic because my, my business is social media. You know, I have to promote. I have to be on there. Like, oh, you know what? That, I don't do TikTok dances, but that's something that you should maybe i should you never know might bust a move that might be my big break you you sort of observe and you see what works and what's catching on right like a couple of years ago there was a big shift in you need to have captions on your instagram videos and the logic behind that was you know carly and you and your team you're having a meeting and you probably wouldn't do this because you're a professional, but say you're on Instagram and you're not going to have the sound on, but if you watch the video and it has captions, you at least are following what's going on. So that's why like captions have really boomed. But going back to like the difference between girls and boys, is there a difference between how a, a, a woman feels about uh, anxiety and depression and how a guy does? Because, you know, there's, I was, when I got really fat, my friends would violate me and make fun of me for being fat. I didn't want to cancel them. I didn't want to get mad at them. It was like, man, I should maybe get in shape. And I did. Right. It was so, a different way of interacting than girl. Yeah. And then I have, right. And I have a friend of mine who's a beautiful young lady. She's a lawyer, right? And Someone told her that she needed to lose weight and she became like anorexic. And it's like, dude, you look amazing. Like what, you know, so it's, it's, a, whereas when my friends tell me I've gotten fat, it's motivation for me. So like, is there any differences between how a guy and a girl deal with anxiety and, and depression? Yeah. I mean, you know, there are some generalities. There's obviously exceptions. Um, but I think that for, for girls growing up, the emphasis uh, on image for many of them is quite is quite strong, right? The emphasis on how they look and how they're going to be judged for how they look. 
um, is, is stronger than it is for guys. Guys are more judged by, are they good at a sport? Are they smart? Are they, what do they do? Right. Whereas the woman, um, what she does is generally not kind of what's being led with. Um, or even like, you know, I can remember in, in school, I was like, you know, smart and I felt like embarrassed to be smart. And, you know, I ended up having to switch high schools cause I felt like kind of a fish out of water in my school. And I went to a school where I could feel like that it was cool to be smart, you know, and it was cool to want to be like re- learning things and, and doing well on a test. Whereas like, you know, in another environment, it was sort of like, no, you should be like a pretty girl. You should be like a cheerleader and your smarts are sort of a liability. They're not really an asset. They're detracting from, you know, your femaleness. And I, I think the world's changing and getting better, but it's still there. I mean, if you, if you look on Instagram and stuff, it's still there. What women are, po- what women are posting, what they're expected to post is different than what, what guys are posting for sure yeah there's something also from from the book that they talk about girls suffer more than boys because they're more adversely affected by social comparisons digitally enhanced beauty harder to escape with social and that was one thing that my mom my mom works at a school and she had told me how even with myself right like when I was in high school I mean I didn't get bullied and also I found out that I had just forgot, right? Like when I was in high school, I went to my high school reunion and uh, Carlene, I was so happy to hear that like I wasn't a bully. I just didn't remember. I was like, I don't think I was an asshole to people. Like I, 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 I never, have I hurt people in the past? Probably, maybe I've said some dumb shit to them, but my intentions are never to like be hurtful to someone. So I just didn't know. And I was such a relief. I was telling my buddy Mustafa, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm happy I wasn't an, uh, an asshole to people like growing up. You know what I mean? Like it was such a relief for me. But it was the 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 the, in, the enhancement and, and the, the escaping. You can't with social media. Right. So like my mom told me, if you were bullied in high school back in the day, at least you could go home and escape for a couple hours and then. You could say to yourself, all right, uh, once it's 2.30 or 3 o'clock, whatever time you finish school, I could at least escape the bullying or any issues that I had to deal with. But now it's you never escape it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, you can't you can't escape it. It doesn't go away. It's hard to delete it. Um, and I think it, it also means that if you if you were an asshole in, in high school or something and someone could make some posts about how much of an asshole you are and all this kinds of stuff and could, you know, damage your damage your reputation. Right. That whole cancel culture thing is is uh, heightened. I think it's around quite a bit in the past few years b- because it's so easy to share information, including misinformation on social media, unfortunately. And that's very it can be very damaging to people. As we start to wind down a little bit, uh, once again, thank you for your time, and I appreciate it. I have uh, just some numbers here that were rather alarming to me when I saw them. It was uh, from the American Foundation of Suicide Prevention. Suicide is the 10th leading cause of death. Mm -hmm. In uh, 2018, 48,344 people passed away to suicide. 1.4 million attempted it. Mm Mm-hmm. Comes out to 132 people daily. Carlene, I never really plan on saying things on a podcast at a certain time, but just to add context and perspective, we're about an hour in. That means five people have done that in this conversation that we've had. It's remarkable. 
And you know what is also remarkable is that despite advances in health and all of the suicide awareness and stuff, the suicide rate is not going down. It's we're not we're not making a lot of traction in it. It is a, a vicious, vicious, vicious thing, vicious illness that um, you know, as much as we wanna try and, and do things, um, unfortunately it's still happening. Um and I think we always want to try to do better, but it's it's pretty alarming for sure. The last thing I want to end with in closing is when is this considered a selfish act? Suicide. Um, so I don't think so. Um, I, I think that it's very normal to feel like that about someone who does that. Um, but you have to remember that I think this, the selfish person, it's not really a person, but the, the illness is selfish. The illness is all consuming. Um, it's, it's the one that's kind of taking over and leading someone to this, whether it's, you know, alcohol use, whether it's depression, whatever it is, that that's pulling that person away. And the person that you cared about is sort of under the influence of the, the mental illness. So very, very rarely would it be a selfish act. And, and most of the time to get back to what we talked about in terms of, um, thwarted belongingness and perceived burdensomeness. Uh, most of the time, the individual feels as though they are a burden and that it would be better off without them. I can't tell you how many people who, you know, we obviously have people who care about them somehow in their mind due to this illness, get, get it in their head that no, their family would be better. Or I'll even have patients who say, oh, you'll get over it. You just have a lot of patients. You'll be, you'll be fine. And that's not true. You, you don't, you don't really ever get over this. It, it changes you, right? It, it becomes less painful over time, but it's a very, it's a very damaging thing. It has many ripple effects, um, many ripple effects in families. It's, it's quite destructive, but I don't think, I don't think the person is being selfish. I think they're usually acting in a way that they think is going to actually make the world better, really. And, and usually that's just so tragic because it's so, so not true. It's so far from, from how you see them and how you care about them. Yeah. Um, you're right. It's it's a weird thing to because I read somewhere that the sure it's an end for them, but the suffering that is left behind for everyone that cared, it's like to the hundredth power. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. and, and intergenerational too, right? It you know passed down it's like someone in your family died by suicide that that changes a family that really can impact things for generations to come. And I think, I think people don't know that, uh, or they, they think that they will be the exception and they feel like they don't, they don't matter, but they do. They do matter. I've yet to meet a person who, who doesn't matter in this way. Yeah. You know, it was, uh, the, the thing that ultimately saved me, Carlene was, I didn't have the, I didn't have it in me to do it because I, I couldn't imagine like my parents seeing me. You know, I'm an only child. Me too, me too. There you go. Uh, I, uh, I've, I've never shared this before with anyone, but you know, my, my parents, when they first started dating, um, my mom got pregnant and within two, three months, and you know, they decided not to keep the kid. Mm-hmm. Because my dad said it's the biggest regret of his life. But he said, you know, it was 
six weeks, eight weeks into dating. He's like, I didn't know that this is going to be the woman that I'm with for 34 years. And then fast forward a couple of years later, you get the boy right here. Right. <laughs> and then two years after that, my mom had a miscarriage. And my mom, you know, I'm a mama's boy. Mm -hmm. And even like with my dad, uh, when I stopped going to school and he just told me, he's like, dude, without that piece of paper, you're going to have to figure it out on your own. And he told me like, it's going to be hard and you know, it's, it's validation and it's just easier to get things done when you have that piece of paper. You just got to work harder than everyone else when you don't. Mm -hmm. And you know, they have me like, I get heat sometimes from my friends because they say I'm spoiled, but I also like, I work, like I bust my ass a lot, you know, like I, uh, I've never been on a family vacation with my parents. That's one thing that like I'm working towards. I want to go on a vacation with them. I want to retire them. That's like my oh, goal. Nice, nice. So I could never just imagine like, dude, my parents, what they've been through to see their one kid do this would like just be devastating. So uh, I'm, I'm happy that I wasn't able to go through and do that because i started thinking about like you know i even told a buddy of mine he's like he's like bro you would have altered my whole trajectory moving forward absolutely i mean i would rephrase it a little bit and, and instead of yes, saying please you, tell, you, me, you, tell me instead of saying you didn't you didn't have it in you to to do it i would say you had it in you to live you you had it in you to continue on that you you had enough of those loved ones in you you had enough kind of understanding and and kind of hope that you know it it's I would sort of put that frame on it because I don't think it's like people come say, Oh, I'm too weak to kill myself or I'm a, I'm a, I'm a wuss, right? I'm not going to, I'm, I'm too chicken to do that. And I you know, really stop them and say, no, no, it's actually braver to live in the face of adversity. It's, it is, it is a, a will to live that is quite strong. And most people, you know, they have that in them, but it sometimes takes quite a bit to, to pull it out of them and it can get really lost when they're in quite a dark space. Thank you for uh, rephrasing that for me. Yeah, I don't know if that I don't know if that helps to think of like you had this strength in you and that you know part of that is your parents that that you know helped you along in that way and made you feel loved. A little spoiled, but but loved, right? And that's, <laughs> and that's it that's important. And I think that, that those are the type of factors. Oftentimes people will be like, you know, I don't have anyone, but I have a dog, or I have a cat. Uh, people during COVID, uh, all the animal adoptions were were up and I was so happy to see that because honestly for some people you know what, that's, that keeps them going. That's, that's the one thing is that, you know, the relationship they have with their, with their pet and, you know, whatever, whatever works, whatever makes you kind of put one foot in for the, from the other and live another day. Well, I'll take it. Carlene, you are a beautiful human. I appreciate you so much for coming on. This was an absolute honor. Um, I hope you enjoyed the back and forth as well. And um, I didn't disappoint in the conversation either. Oh, this, no, this is great. I think, and I, I give props to you also just for, for doing this topic. And, you know, I hope that your, your listeners um, feel a little bit more comfortable talking about it and asking questions and getting help. Cause like you said, at the start, it's not a thing people want to talk about. Uh, I tend to bury it away. Yeah. It's a level of comfort that I have with my audience and, and they know that I don't, I don't speak on certain things cause I'm just like not informed or, honestly don't like care about it right like we had a very like when it comes to politics for me carlene i only know that there's a democratic and republican party i can't tell you anything else i 
I check out so quickly when that conversation comes up. Is it bad? Is it good? That's just my thing. I just avoid it at all. But when it comes to certain things that I'm really passionate about and I care about, um, the word influence gets thrown out a lot and trying to inspire. I never try to. I kind of just tell you how I feel about things with a very authentic authenticity, I should say, behind it. So, um, again, thank you for coming on. This is the part of the show where the floor is yours. Promote anything that you work on, anything that you do, where they can find you. You mentioned your husband has a podcast. Let's promote that also. Let's let's get it going. Sure. Yeah. So um, our practice, again, is Brooklyn Minds. Um, you can go to um, www.brooklynminds.com or find us on, on social. Um, we have the full range of outpatient mental health services. Um, we do take some insurances, Cigna, United, some Medicare. Um, and so, you know, if that could be a good fit for you, come to our website. Um, you can submit an inquiry and someone from our team will be in touch. Um, I would encourage folks to do that, um, particularly if they've never sought mental health services before. Um, and yes, my husband uh, does have a podcast. He's a psychiatrist as well. Um, his podcast is called Remotely Possible. Um, and he focuses on um, sort of uh, challenges in healthcare, particularly with COVID um, and kind of how the field as a whole is, is changing and facing different sorts of barriers. So if you're interested in that, check, check it out. I'll make sure to have the links to everything in the description of the episode. And yeah, guys, definitely go and show Brooklyn Minds love and, and uh, reach out to them if you guys need anything. So, Carlene, as always, thank you so much for your time. Uh, happy and healthy 2021 and beyond. And I'll be in touch. I'm going to get you've already um, have given me your address. I will get you a copy of that book. Uh, and it would be it's it, it, it's a gift on my behalf. It's the least I could do. Great. Great. Cool. Awesome. And I hope to see you around Clubhouse as well. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get it going. I think it'll be fun. <laughs> cool. All right. Awesome. You think you got it? I got it for real. You think you got what I got? This one for those they forget in my city. This one for those they forget. This dog off the leash and is ready to kill. Homie, go finish your meal. I'm coming for real. Taking that food right off of your grill. Nikki too ill. Can't let it drop of me spill. Clogging the lane. I'm feeling the strain. I'm here for the spot to be filled. Not to be cocky, but all of you watching while I'm in the cup paying property bills. Got it.